This is Steve Kim. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you understand and speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Wherever you're listening to this podcast from, greetings to you. Welcome to today's edition of the AC Podcast. Today I'm going to bring you something of a blast from the past. I've been working with Apologetics Canada for the last about six years or so now. And over the years, I've had the privilege of participating in our annual Apologetics Canada conference. Uh, There is this one talk in particular that I remember, and I thought it would be really good to share it with you in a kind of a two-part session. So this week and next week, you're going to be hearing from Dr. John Coe on his session, The Psychology of Unbelief. So let me read to you his biography quickly from the Biola University website. Dr. Coe is a specialist in the philosophical and theological foundation of the integration of faith and learning. His research focuses on understanding the nature of spiritual and psychological health, the history of spirituality, the work of the Holy Spirit in personal change, and the interface between psychology, spirituality, and philosophy. A particular interest is in exploring approaches to spiritual direction as a complement to Christian psychotherapy. Dr. Coe is also the director of the Institute for Spiritual Formation at Biola University. So that's who you will be hearing from. So I hope you enjoy this session. Uh, it's a it's an hour long, so that's why I'm breaking it into two parts, so it'll be hopefully more digestible for you. And uh, without any further ado, I hope you enjoy this session. Well, good morning. It is good to see so many out on a Saturday morning to talk about apologetics. I... Um, I want to begin with just a little bit of my own story because of the relevance to this topic. And uh, so I was was raised in uh, North Dakota, actually, a a farm community. And I was raised in a rather liberal kind of Lutheran community. We moved to California, Los Angeles. And about the age of 14, I, I flirted with atheism. And so for the next four years... I would tell people I didn't believe in God. However, what I noticed is at night, I would actually pray. This was my prayer. God, make me a great football player. Now, I I actually was an athlete in high school. My daughters don't believe that. I I tell them, you know, I used to be, you know, shaped like a V, and I was an incredible... No, Dad, you're shaped like an A, and you look like a pear, but... But I, so I prayed, because I was thinking about playing college football at the time, and, uh, and so I, my prayer was, God, make me a great football player. And in the day, I would engage with my friends in attacking Christians. And then in high school at 11th grade, I met a girl. Yeah, so you can hear something happening here. Now, let me just tell you, girls who are believers, uh, do not underestimate the power of that. Although I don't encourage you to date a non-believer. But this girl, we began to date, we became very close. 
And we had many arguments about God's existence. And every time she would start crying, I would often say, nah, well, maybe God does exist. I, I don't know. We'll have to think about this. Well, eventually, I came to the Lord. And that was such a powerful conversion. And from there, I went to a Bible institute, and I just realized that I wanted to study the scriptures the rest of my life. So I went to Biola University. This was in 1975. And I was a Bible and theology major. But along the way, I began to read an individual named Francis Schaeffer, a great apologist back then, a kind of cultural apologist. And I became awakened to issues of philosophy and culture. So at the same time, I went back, and I got the equivalent of a bachelor's degree at a Cal State in philosophy. And then I went on and got a master's in theology. We went to Labrie just briefly, where Francis Schaeffer was, and, and I really now wanted to pick up studying philosophy. So I went on and got a master's degree in humanities and philosophy. And then I came back to the University of California, and I got another master's degree in philosophy, and then the PhD in philosophy. My, that girl who led me to the Lord, we got married at the wise age of 19, and uh, I told my daughters, if they marry at 19, there will be a homicide in Los Angeles. <laughs> and so for the next 18 years, I went on this journey of two bachelors, three masters, and a doctorate to be an apologist. And I actually told my wife, you know, I'm going to go finish and get another PhD in theology. And she said, John, there will be a divorce if you do. Well, then I had the evil thought, you know something? I'm going to go get the PhD, and I won't even tell her. Because I study all the time, and the Lord redeemed me from that one. That would not have been good. That would not have been wise. Because I actually thought, you know, I'm going to take her to the university when I'm, when I'm done, and I'll just say, hey, Greta, let's go for a drive, and it'll be graduation. No, that would not have been, not have been wise. So I did get my PhD 22 years ago in philosophy at the University of California. And uh, in fact, I'll just another little interesting story. Every time my parents would introduce me to their friends at that time. They'd say, oh, my son, uh, let me introduce him. He's a doctor. Well, he's not that kind of doctor. He, he's, now, what are you, a doctor in, John? Uh, philosophy. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, and John, can you tell us again what philosophy is? And so the, for the 500th time, yes, Mom, we, uh, we, we sit around and we try to argue for the existence of whether that wall exists and whether we have epistemic evidence for myself existing. And my mom... Okay, that's good, John. Um, can, can you get a job doing that? You know, it's a... Well, all of this time, I came back to Talbot School of Theology to teach apologetics. And at the same time, while I was teaching apologetics, I was really interested in a rational apologetics understanding of the faith. And... I had the opportunity also to teach at Rosemead School of Psychology. It's the graduate school of clinical psychology at Biola. And they asked me if I would teach psychology students systematic theology and then the integration of philosophy, psychology, and theology. And that became a whole journey. And so while I was teaching therapists about theology and integration, I was also teaching in the seminary apologetics and systematic theology. And something began to happen during that time. And there were, there were many issues going on in my own life, but I began to wonder in all of the apologetic encounters I was having and evangelistic encounters, I, I was seeing that there were some people who were really open. Some people were, you could discuss things, and, but I was noticing the majority of individuals that I would discuss Christ with, 
there was often great resistance and sometimes not even an interest in apologetics. And so that began a slow journey to really understand what is going on in those people. And so the title is The Psychology of Unbelief. I want to understand that. So if you take the handout, I want, I want to think together here. So I'm not going, I, I am actually a pastor. I'm a teaching pastor in our church. But I, I don't want to preach so much. I want to think through these issues. And so let's just start on the first introduction to therapeutic apologetics. I want you just to think back. Have you ever been in an evangelistic encounter with a person where somebody is just so open and then another person so close? I I remember when I was going to seminary, I was working at a, it was actually, I was a a weight loss therapist. That's a weird job. Now my daughter say, Dad, you need to go back and and get this. (laughs) But I I did. I worked uh, at a place called the Schick Center to help people get off smoking and weight while I was going to seminary, and there was a fellow therapist. She was getting her master's in psychology. That girl was so ready for the gospel. When I started talking to her, she was just, John, I, I just, I just, I want to believe. And I'd say, well, just, ah, hold off. I mean, let's talk about this. And everything I would explain, yes, John, I want that. She came to the Lord. For most people, it has not been that way. For most people, have you ever been in this situation where you're sharing Christ with somebody and, and as soon as the word God comes up, boy, you can just tell something just happened in their eyes. And it's almost like, you know, Star Trek. Shields up, Captain. And the more you talk about Christ, the more they're loading their photon torpedoes. I can tell as I'm talking to them, they're not listening to me anymore. They're, they're ready to shoot something back at me. And so I want you just for a moment to to think of a person that you've shared Christ with where they were so open. I just want you to think about that person. Have you had a person like that? And what was going on in their life? Just think about that. Is there a person like that? And now I want you to take another person. I want you to think of a person who is so closed when you've talked to them about Christ and about God, they just don't want to hear it. I just want you to think of, think of that person for a moment. What's going on in them? Now what I want you to do is I want you to take a person in your mind that you really want to come to the Lord. I want you to think about that person right now. I want you to get that name in your mind. Somebody that you would really love to see come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pray for a moment about that person. So pray with me. Our Father, we we come to you and we lift this person to you. Father, may you teach us during this time. Teach us of what might be going on in that soul and teach us how to respond to them in a meaningful way. And so hear our prayers, Lord. Be with these people as they are in their own life seeking how to share with you about that person, how to pray, and how to share with that person about you. And so, Father, open our heart. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I want you, as we go through this, to keep that person in mind because I'm, I'm really interested in what is going on in people. So look with me at the notes because I, I just want, I'm gonna be reading this so you can read along with me because I, I wanna think about these things. Here's the problem. The problem is if there is a God and if that God is trying to get everybody's attention, whether through natural revelation or special revelation, then why are there atheists? If God is really trying to get the attention, why would somebody not wanna believe? And this will be kind of my thesis. If God is trying to get the, what I would call the epistemic attention, that is he's trying to get the attention of unbelievers to know him, and I believe, I'll argue in scripture he is, then I think it's going to be a psychological, spiritual problem to repress that revelation. I'm gonna argue that the unbeliever actually has a spirituality because the unbeliever actually knows that God exists. It's just that he has a bad relationship with this God. He's ignoring it and he's repressing it. And I wanna understand it and I wanna help that individual deal with what might be going on. So let's start with A. This is the starting point. Now, in this first little section, we're gonna be doing a little bit of philosophy. So this is gonna get a little complex. So I would just say kind of hang in there and catch what you can. And because of the time, this actual handout normally takes me maybe about four to five hours to go through. So we have about 50, uh, 40 minutes or so. So I'm gonna be kind of running through this. So here's the starting point. In every evangelistic or apologetic encounter, the unbelief of the non-Christian, it's either due to one or two things. It's either due to reasons for their unbelief or there are causes. Now, this is a philosophical point, so we're gonna have to think through that everybody's unbelief, it's either because of reasons they have for their unbelief or there are causes going on, and we're gonna have to think about this. And it's gonna be important for you, if you're gonna help somebody, to determine which it is. So I wanna start with reasons for belief or reasons for unbelief. What is a reason? So again, you have to kind of follow this along, but get the point. So we'll say here's what a reason is. Some belief, we'll call it Q, whatever it is. Some belief is a reason for a person, some person S, to believe that piece. So we're looking for what is a reason to believe that God exists? Or, or what would be a reason to believe that your, your son is the ax murderer of Vancouver? Or whatever it is. Well, here's what it is. Belief Q is a reason for some person S to believe that P when that belief that they have, Q, now here's what it is. It freely moves that person's mind to assent to P, not on the basis of some prior cause. So for instance, I can imagine a person who's come to believe in God because why? Well, he looks at design, he looks at order, and he says, well, that's just so obvious, that's clear. And those become reasons to believe. Or I can imagine somebody seeing a videotape, like maybe I could imagine, you know, my brother seeing a videotape of me killing somebody with an ax, and the police say, look, that's, that's John. He says, yeah, yeah, I have got good reason to think John is the ax murderer of La Mirada. That's, that's a good reason. 
I can imagine a person saying, you know, I see all the evil in the world. I see all this gratuitous, unwarranted evil. I'm not sure God exists. That looks like a reason. Now, follow with me. What is the sign for something, whether it's a reason or not? How do you know it's a reason and not just some rationalization? Here's the way you know, and really think about it. The person is gonna be open to dialogue. Now, you gotta underline that in your mind. If you want to know whether a person has a real reason for unbelief, they're going to be open to a dialogue. That is, they just want where reasons will take them. They just want where the evidence is going to go. And so that means if I'm talking to someone who's a non-believer and I begin to raise questions and they come out and say, look, I, I just don't think God exists. Look at all the evil in the world. Look at the history of Christianity. Look at the hypocrisy. I just don't believe it. Well, there's a simple test for getting at whether this are reasons or something else. All you have to do is begin to challenge those reasons. See, that's the point of apologetics, is now that you're gonna have an arsenal, because that person's just throwing out some thoughts, and, and well, are those real reasons? And so you need to be trained as a little mini apologist to kind of throw back, well, wait a minute now, let's discuss this. And as you begin to discuss it and pose counter arguments, and some of you are gonna do very well at this, some of you, they may not be that well-shaped arguments yet, but it doesn't matter. Here's where you, this'll be the sign whether you know a person has a reason for belief. They just want to know the truth. They're not going to be defensive. They're going to be open. They're going to say, God, I haven't thought about that. Or they'll come back. They're going to get in a dialogue with you. They're going to get into a discussion with you. They're not putting up a smoke screen. You know something? When you find a person like that, that's incredible. Because you know something? Reasons reasons for belief, that's what Christianity's about. If you find a person who really is open to the evidence and reason, then Christianity says, well, come on in. That's our territory. We don't believe that Christianity is just a matter of private belief and private piety. But I want you to look at number two. This is causes for belief. I want you to think about this. Causes for belief. It wasn't until I had a philosophy class at University of California where we talked about the difference between reasons and causes. Man, it really clicked in my mind. Here's what a cause might be. Now think about this. Something is a cause for a belief when the explanation for this person believing it, whatever it is, that God exists, that my son's the ax murderer, that God doesn't exist, that my son's not the ax murderer, it's a cause when it's due, when that belief is due to some prior psychological experience resulting in a desire or a passion. See, something's happened to them, and now they have a desire, a want, a passion, a feeling, and that feeling now is actually moving their mind to assent to that thing. Wow, this is, this is totally different now. So I'll give, you a, I'll give you a cause. This would be, let's say if my mother was shown by the police, Mrs. Coe, your son John Coe is the ax murder of La Mirada. Here's a video. 
and they show me just ah, chopping into somebody and smiling at the video. Chopping. And my mother would say this, no, no, my Johnny wouldn't do that. Mrs. Coe, look, he's doing it. No, 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 Johnny would never do it. What's going on here? My mom is allowing her passion, she's allowing her love to move her mind to assent. He would never do it, even when it's contrary to the evidence. Take the situation, the example of a believer, I mean of an unbeliever here. This is the situation in which some person has, he thinks Christian beliefs about God's existence or something about the fundamental tenets of the faith, meaning about whether God is good, whether God is powerful. He thinks they're incorrect, but due to some prior psychological cause. Let me just list you some of these psychological causes. It might be social conditioning. That is, he has been trained by his parents that belief in Christianity is absurd. Or maybe he has some kind of reaction formation. I know individuals who were raised by Christians who were quite legalistic, and now that kid, as I've shared Christ with them, they say, I don't even want that stuff. I don't even want to believe. Or maybe it's due to anger against God, fear of God, desire just to do their thing and live autonomously. The point here is this, that it's their passion. It's their desires that are determining their belief. This is where a person just says in their deep, I don't want to believe. I don't want to change. I'm bugged with God. I'm bugged with the church. I don't want to surrender. That's what's really going down in their their soul. And you know something? There's a very simple test for this. There's a very simple test for how you can get at whether that person has a reason or whether it's a cause. And because sometimes they'll actually share things that look like reasons. They'll say, well, look at all the evil in the world. Or look at the hypocrisy of the Christian. Well, here's how you can get at whether it's a reason or cause. Very simple. You really should underline this in your mind. Once you start challenging them, once you start giving some counter evidences, if you see they are defensive, if you see they aren't listening to you, and I would have to say in probably about 80% of my conversations with unbelievers, that's what happens. As I am sharing Christ with that person, I, the, the more, I, in fact, I can see it sometimes the first time you know, we're having a good conversation, all I have to do is say the word God. And all of a sudden, whoosh. And then when I say Christ, I can tell they aren't even listening to me now. And as I'm sharing something, I can tell in their mind and in their eyes, they are loading up an argument to come back with me. Well, now I know. Now I know we are not in reasons anymore. We are in causes That is, this person is not necessarily just going to follow the evidence. I know there's something deeper. Even if they gave me an argument and what looked like a reason, what's really even motivating that reason is there's something that's gone on in their heart that says, I don't want to believe. There is no way. And of course, when I first met now my wife, that's exactly the way I was. 
when she would share with me the four spiritual laws, right, this was in 1973, I would just, no way, Greta. And then I would get all my reasons, but there was just no way because there was something else going on inside. And here's the point. Once you engage in this discussion and you see their defensiveness, you see that they're closed, then you know that your reasons are going to be ineffective to bring them to belief. That's not gonna be enough because there are already things going on, as the scriptures would say, in the heart of the person where they are closed. And so what you're going to have to do is you're gonna have to deal with causes, meaning somehow you are now gonna have to scratch below the surface in that person to bring out something of the heart so that they can say, yeah, I'll tell you what's really, I just don't want your God. Yeah, I'll tell you about it, I, I just, I want to do my thing. That's at the bottom. And so how are we gonna bring that out? I, w- I want you to pray with me another moment. I want you to take that person again that you would really like to come to the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we, we just want to bring this person to you again. And Lord, as we just ponder this person, is, it, is there unbelief due to reasons, Lord, or is it causes? Are they really open? Lord, are they really wanting to go where the evidence is? Or, Lord, are there just other things in the soul and they're just not wanting to believe? Lord, and so as you're just talking to the Lord, just ask the Lord, God, what's really going on in their heart? What's really taking place? Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on this person that I'm thinking of. Be so gracious, Lord. Amen. So I want you to look at B. It turns out then there's two kinds of ways of doing apologetics. There's two kinds of ways of doing evangelism. One is going to be approaching it from the perspective of reasons. One will be approaching it from the perspective of causes. So B... This is reasons. This is what we call rational apologetics. This is what I was trained to do. This is what I loved. This is a wonderful thing. Typically, apologetics deals with reasons for belief, reasons for unbelief, and tries to address them. And why should the church be interested? Let me give you four reasons. You can just write these down quickly. This is from Thomas Aquinas. Uh, I studied quite a bit of Aquinas when I was at the University of California. And uh, he had a whole approach to why the church should do this rational apologetics. Here's the first one. The first reason, so you have to write it in there if you have space. The first reason is to answer real doubts. To answer real doubts. To give good reasons for belief. People who, who really have reasons for unbelief, it's to address those. That's, that's a loving thing to do. That's our ground. That's where Christianity is at its best. Second reason is we want to expose rationalization. See, you want to expose, see, somebody may be giving you what looks like a reason. However, what's motivating them are causes and they're just using as a kind of a smoke screen. So you want to know rational apologetics so you can 
in an intellectual, healthy, good way, you want to interact with those ideas and to begin exposing, wow, they're, they're not even listening to you now. See, at some point in a conversation when a person's totally closed to you and they're not willing to follow the evidence, they're not just open and saying, God, let's talk about it. Once you know that, then it's a good thing to even bring that up just to say, you know, look, I I really like this conversation. This is a good conversation, but I just want you to know it looks like you don't really even care about the reasons anymore. There must be something else. See, now you're going to begin to scratch around that, you know, there's, there's probably something else going on. You, you want to expose that there really are now defensive doubts that are created by causes. And that's good to know. It's good to point out. Here's a third reason for doing rational apologetics. It provides a good intellectual environment in the culture to carry on discussion of God. That is what I, I, am, I teach at Biola University and Talbot Seminary primarily. And now I've moved primarily into the Institute for Spiritual Formation because I'm really interested in spiritual growth of people. But my colleagues and friends, you know, J.P. Moreland, Doug Guyvett, here Gary Habermas, others, they, they have helped create a cultural discussion. The design argument has done an incredible job to create that, hey, this is a public discussion Belief in God is not just a private matter of piety, like Mormonism might think, or Islam. No, no, we believe there are good reasons. Let's make it public. Let's carry on this cultural dialogue. Here's the fourth reason for rational apologetics. It was to help encourage the faith of believers who might be doubting. Believers go through these doubts. That's one reason why I went into apologetics in the first place some 30 years ago. There were quibbles that I was having about my faith, and that was helpful. 